Pastor Stoops, I sense that everything you said was sincere, but I couldn't help but think you were just trying to get me to say amen. <laughs> and you can say amen this evening while I'm speaking. My amens are free. <laughs> so good to be in the house of the Lord. And so good to be with brother and sister Stoops and Grandma Stoops. And uh, the first thing that impacted me when I came in, of course, was your beautiful sanctuary. We haven't been here probably in about five years. But it was that I was seeing faces that were here when we used to attend here in the first two years of our home missionary endeavor in Farmington, Maine, which would have been 36 years ago. That's been a long time. And if you are still walking with God all of these years later, I honor you. Praise the Lord. Because God is good. This is a good life in spite of uh, in spite of things that are not always convenient, the Lord is faithful. And, um, you know, we can only imagine what the future holds, but it was the case for us 36 years ago as well. What does the future hold? And where will life take us? And for if you're new here or if you were considered uh, younger, I would tell you there is no life like the life in living for God. Yes. Because you're going to have challenges whether you serve the Lord or whether you serve the right. devil. But the advantage when you serve the Lord is the Lord makes a way. He makes a way. And when you do fall, when you do make a mistake, when you desperately need help, he's there for you. And he lifts up your head and he wipes your tears and he forgives your sins. And ultimately, ultimately, we're getting out of this place. We are getting out of this place. And there's nothing in this world that would be worth missing the rapture over. And so I commend you for your, I commend all of you for your commitment to the Lord. You have a beautiful church, a wonderful, wonderful spirit uh, of, of worship here. Your ensemble is so tight. That was beautiful. I was speaking in tongues the whole time I was there. Just so blessed by the wonderful and rich presence of the Lord today. And so it's, it's a good life. We, uh, it's a little bit strange for us. We only arrived back uh, into the United States about a week and a half ago. Of course, Europe is as heavily impacted, perhaps more, uh, than the United States. Uh, and their uh, socialist governments there uh, operate with much more authority in which that we haven't had so much liberty this past year as you have had uh, in the United States uh, so when we came back, you know, we're wondering what, what to expect. Uh, but I am, I am grateful to be here. I am trying, still trying to put my finger on the pulse of the spiritual environment here in the United States. Um, we could only hear the news. Um, sometimes it's a little bit slanted. So, but God is good. And I have spent time this week seeking the face of the Lord for these meetings today. Um, and also for the onset of our deputational ministry, which will begin the 1st of June, six months of travel before we can go back. Uh, but we're delighted to be here tonight. We truly are, and we give honor to all of you, your leadership, um, and especially to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We left in a time of great revival, and I, I will save this report for you later in the year when I understand we're back for a mission service. That's not really the purpose of us being here tonight. Uh, but we left in full revival, and this has been a direct result of nightly prayer at 9 o'clock, uh, 
on Zoom with about 25 or 30 of our people. Uh, they're not all the same ones there each night. We didn't put any guilt trip uh, on the invitation to come and be a part of nightly prayer for just 30 minutes. But I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you the degree of cohesion in our assembly or the unity or the solidarity that we have had as a result of 9 p.m. prayer, seven days a week, all of that as a result of our second lockdown in France, which began the 1st of November. And it was over the end of November. We're now in the third lockdown, but the prayer meetings at night never stopped. In the last two months, we baptized eight different people, Hindus, um, uh, Roman Catholics, uh, Buddhists. God is building his church. He's pouring out his spirit since the first, actually since February. We have seen blind eyes open. We have seen a brain tumor disappear. The headaches, the intense headaches immediately disappear. On two occasions, we have seen paralyzed hands. Well, on one occasion, a paralyzed hand. The other one was a sister who came up for prayer with, uh, I think they call it a frozen shoulder. She could not even just look at her hand without excruciating pain. It was glued to her abdomen. She could not move it. And uh, one of the young men that had just received the Holy Ghost that Sunday, his name is Felix, uh, a precious French kid who came out of Catholicism. When I say came out of Catholicism, he went beyond what he had and was filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, I called him up to help me pray for this woman, and there were several others that were there as well. And her arm began to move, and she brought it up to the height of her elbow, and I said, you still have pain, right? She said, well, a little bit. She was kind of hesitant to acknowledge that it wasn't all gone away. I said, we're going to pray again, and so we prayed again, and her hand shot up like a rocket above her head, and obviously she was delighted. But this young Felix dude, his eyes were like, <laughs> they were like saucers. He was so amazed. He had never seen anything like that in his life. You know, God is doing everything he can to build his church, particularly today. Time is short. People are desperate. People are fearful. And folks that would have never given God the time of day are suddenly considering the condition of their soul because everybody knows that things are very abnormal in our world. And everyone, most everyone, is fearful when the government itself has no answers. The people are certainly wondering, where is this train going? But God has a plan. Because God is never up against a wall. He's never left scratching his head wondering how he's going to pull off an answer for his people. And, well, that's my introduction to what I would like to talk to you about tonight from the Word of God. So... I don't recall if it's your custom or not, but I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the word, and we're going to go to the book of Isaiah tonight in, the chapter, uh, in chapter 45. Uh, I, you know, uh, I mentioned earlier that I had taken these meetings this afternoon and this evening very seriously uh, and was intent on really finding the mind of the Lord. And uh, it was yesterday that I felt that I had definite direction, and yet I went to bed in doubt I woke up this morning with this message very much on my mind, and it's kind of an odd message. It's kind of an odd message, but even the title is odd. You will see it in just a moment. But when I met Pastor Stoops at the beginning and said, we're going to be doing this, uh, this uh, 
this Easter-themed uh, production this evening in worship and then again after. Um, how does your sermon line up with the message of hope? I knew, I knew that God was in what he had put in my heart, or what I woke up with, rather, in my heart, because this fits very well. This fits very well. Amen. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 45. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version, but it's quite similar if you've got your Old King James here tonight. Thus says the Lord in verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break the pieces, uh, I will break in pieces rather, the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who calls you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you, Cyrus, by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. Do you notice the Lord emphasizing the fact that he was calling a man that did not even know him? God is calling people today in this city and around the world that don't even know him. And God is at, God is at work in their lives. God is moving in their lives. And I said this earlier today when I was sharing this thought with someone. I, it was only after the fact, many years after my conversion, Brother Stoops, that, that I began to realize that God had been at work in my life long before I ever came to a knowledge of this, long before he ever forgave me of my sins or filled me with his spirit, there were pieces he was putting in my life to accomplish his will in my life at a later date. And at the time, I was completely oblivious to it. God's work is far and God's work is deep. Who knows the mind of the Lord? And so, again, in verse 3, I will give you the treasures of darkness, the hidden riches of secret places, that you may know that I am the Lord, etc. Um, again, in verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they, my people, that my people may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I would like to talk to you tonight about the treasures of darkness. We read it in verse 3. I will give to you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. You may be puzzled. You may be scratching your head. But it's the word of the Lord. Jesus, we love you and thank you for your presence and your anointing. We thank you that there is still power in the blood. We thank you for the resurrection power, Lord, that we feel in this meeting tonight. Already you are at work in the hearts and in the lives, Lord Jesus, of everyone that is in this place. Whether we feel you or not, whether we acknowledge you or not, we are not here tonight, Lord, by coincidence, but you have purposed for this meeting at this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. And most, most of all this evening, we thank you for the hope 
that you offer this human race in Jesus' name. And everyone said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How about a free amen? amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I just raised $25,000 for you, Pastor Stoops. You may be seated. <laughs> the treasures of darkness. Where is this going? <laughs> you know, who was this uh, Cyrus the Great that is mentioned here? To whom the Lord said, I have called you by your name, and I will go before you and give you victory. Cyrus was a Persian king whom the Lord used to topple the Babylonian Empire. Cyrus was not a Jew. He was a pagan. Cyrus was a pagan. When he invaded Babylon, it was not for the purpose of liberating the Jews who were held captive there. No, 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 no. He invaded Babylon for his own benefit. That God chose to use a pagan king to deliver his people was not due to the righteousness of the pagan king. It was so that his people would know that as God, he would take care of them and would be able to act in ways that they would not necessarily expect God to act. Because God can do anything. He can do it at any time and you can, he can use anyone that he wants to do it. So Cyrus invaded Babylon for his own benefit. And again, that, that God would choose to use him to deliver his people was, was not due to the righteousness of Cyrus, but it's so, it was so that his people would know that he was taking care of them. I, I will do these things for you, Cyrus, we read in verse 6, so that my people may know that from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, uh, there is none beside me. There is no God beside me. There is no God that can deliver them but me, for I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no other. There is still no other. Know this, that God is able, again I say it, He's able to do anything as He pleases. He is able to use anyone as He chooses. And He is able to act at whatever time He likes. Amen. The fact is, the success of the Persian armies was not due to the brilliance of Cyrus. But his success came from God, who permitted such a victory. And though it appears that Cyrus is the target of God's blessings, Cyrus is simply a tool that God is using to bless his people. So this gives perspective to this passage in Isaiah. But is there something in this verse for us as well? Indeed there is. This goes beyond the historical context that I just gave you. There is, of course, something for here to us to, for, for, for here that are us to, for us who are here tonight, and, and most certainly to the believer who, who may be going through challenging times when, when nothing seems to make sense. In the midst of this current pandemic, are you aware that we're in the middle of a pandemic right now? That we're 13 months into a pandemic that we had hoped would disappear in just a few weeks or a few months? In the midst of this current pandemic and in the challenges that we've all had to endure this past year, we can probably all glean something from this passage. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden treasures of secret places, the Lord said. What is the deal here? 
treasures of darkness? Darkness is defined as the partial or total absence of light, evil, something sinister that evokes fear. Darkness. Darkness. But darkness is also defined as the lack of spiritual or intellectual enlightenment or ignorance. So what does this darkness represent for the child of God? Because the Lord clearly addresses it and speaks about treasures that are found in this darkness. Now, how does this pertain to us? Um, it can represent suffering or adverse circumstances. Why me? Anyone here over the last 13 months come down with COVID? Have to raise my hand. I pastor a church. Why should I have COVID? I'm ministering to people who are healthy and the pastor is sick at home and missed church because of COVID. This darkness also represents the absence of understanding regarding the personal challenges that we are facing. And that's really where this message is going. Isaiah, in his uh, book, says in chapter 50 and verse 10, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Clearly indicating to me that though we be followers of the Lord himself, there will be times that we do not understand what's going down. We do not understand why we are going this way. We do not make any sense of our circumstances. Though we are followers of the Lord. The verse was written to believers. This verse was written to believers. It was written to those who fear the Lord, to whom the prophet said, if you walk in darkness and have no light, meaning if you lack understanding and can't make any sense of your circumstances, then trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon Him. The fact is, we will all have moments of, in our spiritual walk when the answer is not clear. Is that clear? Times in which it will feel like we are suspended in the unknown. And you wonder if the Lord lost your cell phone number somewhere. God, where are you? Why am I going through this? How can this contribute to my walk with God? Because we're in relationship with God and yet we still experience times of uncertainty or dilemma, we can conclude that God allows these things. I don't know why he allows certain things, but he does. God does not stop everything that comes against us. The Lord does not allow us to all pass through the same trials either. Or experience the same suffering. Yet, all of humanity will be challenged at one time or another and all will suffer from something or another, it may be an internal affliction, it may be an external affliction, it may be rejection, it may be great disappointment, but humanity is here and will suffer. Though we may suffer differently. Excuse me just a moment. And so we do not all pass through the same trials or experience the same suffering, but... 
The Lord knows us individually. While some would likely sin if faced with certain challenges, other people can kind of sail through those challenges and they're fine. Something in which uh, you may have no temptation over could cause someone else to backslide. We're individuals, but God knows us individually. And this is one reason why it's not wise for us to compare ourselves to one another. That is very clear in the Word of God. Our experiences in life will be different. And nonetheless, we find this promise in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 that no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God is faithful. And he knows us individually. And he does not turn a blind eye at anything that happens in our life. He knows the numbers of hair on our head. But with every time he can, that is to say every time that we allow him to, the Lord uses our circumstances to make us better. And things that seem completely useless suddenly have very great value in the economy of God. 1 Peter 5 and 10 says this, But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect and establish and strengthen and settle you. This is accomplished much more often in the shadowy valley than on a glorious mountaintop somewhere. When our heart is overwhelmed and we cry out to the Lord and in all sincerity, He comes to our rescue. We can all testify about that experience multiple times in our walk with God. We can learn many things from books, but other things can only be learned in God's school of divine providence. The treasures of darkness are part of this. We're not talking about the treasures of evil. God forbid We're talking about the untold secrets of God's wisdom that are not discovered when everything is clear before us, but they're revealed in moments of obscurity and doubt and fear and weakness. God's wisdom is treasure to be discovered, and it's treasure indeed. I said God's wisdom is treasure indeed that the world knows nothing about. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote, I pray that the Father of glory gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray this at times in my personal prayers to God. Let a spirit of wisdom and revelation come upon me. Not only that I can walk before you in integrity, but that I can lead your people, the flock over which God has given me a responsibility. We need wisdom today. We cannot depend on our own intelligence. We cannot depend on our own brilliance or charisma. This is not about a cult following. This is about getting it right. And the only thing right is the Word of God. And you know as well as I do that this book is a gold mine. And you can serve God for over 70 years. And read this book and still find something new that brings a fresh revelation that will cause you to shout and dance before the Lord. 
Because his ways and his treasures are beyond finding out. These treasures many times are discovered in moments of obscurity and darkness. Hence, the treasures of darkness. Paul went on to write in his letter to the Romans, chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him are, are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. That's a free amen. 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 You don't always understand why God permits certain things in your life. Neither do I. Or how any good can come out of a dreadful situation. Or how he can even be at work in us when when everything is just one big blur. And Paul acknowledges that in his letter to the Corinthians when he says, We see through a glass darkly. He sees very clearly. And Paul says, One day we will also see clearly. But right now, many things are still obscure. I want to tell you something. God does not give us explanations. God gives us promises. If we had an explanation every time we face a circumstance and we knew how everything was going to unfold, we would just slide through that trial because we knew at the end that he was going to do this, 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 and that. God doesn't give explanations. God gives us promises. And if you want to find yourself on the other side of victory, you're going to have to use faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For those who come to God must first believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The explanation comes on the other side of the valley. It comes on the other side of the trial when you can look back and the answer, the victory has already come. And there you can begin to realize, you know what? God was there. God was. God put that into place. God put that into place. I thought I was sinking and it was God's hand at work all along. An explanation would not result in that kind of testimony. God doesn't give explanations. Not at the start, they come later, but he gives us promises. Treasure, treasure. The word of God is a treasure. The promises of God's word are treasures, treasures. The Holy Ghost, the spirit of Christ in you is a treasure. The name of Jesus is a treasure. Can someone say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. And so, it's not time to question God or to give up. I think we would all agree. The Lord is at work. The children of Israel thought God had forgotten them. When the Red Sea was before them and Pharaoh's armies uh, were coming up from behind, but God's plan was being executed at that moment when they thought they just had moments left to live. And his, His plan was being executed at that time in a way that would liberate them forever. Who would have thunk it? That's not proper French. It's not proper English either. I'm reading from the New Living Translation in 1 Corinthians 1.8 where Paul says this. Just listen. He will keep you strong to the end 
so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God is right now, this evening, in this place, on every one of us, placing his hand to keep us strong to the end. If you don't make it, my friend, that is your choice because the hand of God is upon your life and will be until the end. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Often it's not until we're facing pressure or we're facing a difficult situation that we truly allow the Lord to speak to us. Why do we have to reach a dead end in our own abilities before we are willing to say yes to the Lord? Does someone have that answer? Because I think that we all struggle with that at different times in our life, at different levels of our faith. Is it that difficult to trust Him? Are we afraid that He's going to trick us? Are we afraid that He's going to take advantage of us somehow? After all, He knows everything about me. You know, the Word says that God is not against us. He's not malicious. There is no darkness in, in the evil sense in him whatsoever. There is only light and life and love. And he gives joy and he gives wonderful hope. Praise the Lord. He's not against us, but he's for us. He wants what's good for us. He wants us to grow in our faith. He wants to bless us. He wants to give us knowledge and wisdom. But, but, how, uh, uh, but, 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 but how can he do this when, when often we, res, we insist rather on our own ideas? God thunders these words through the pen of Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, young man. And my ways are not your ways, young lady. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. And so this passage then explains why we will pass through moments in life when nothing seems to make sense because God doesn't reason like we reason. But he is at work. And let me just inject this. The reality of our world is not what we see with our eyes. It's certainly not what we read in the news. The reality of this world is taking place in the spirit realm that we cannot see. And what you see in the physical, this whole political mess, the violence, that, the spirit of violence that's come upon our land, all of these things, that's not the reality. That is the consequence or the result of what is taking place in a realm that we do not see in the natural. That's where the reality is determined. But we look at things around us and we draw conclusions and we, we, we even judge one another based on what we see. I heard something in November. I'm going to insert it here because I have bombarded our church with this because when I heard it, it made so much sense to me. We judge one another. We judge everything based on what we see. We judge ourselves based on our intentions. We're never as hard on ourselves as we are on everyone else because we know ultimately what we hope to do or where we hope to go or what we hope to be. But we don't give one another that benefit of the doubt. Does that make sense? That has nothing to do with my sermon tonight, but that's a pretty good thought. 
That's a pretty good thought. And so, you know, we cast judgment based on what we see, but the Lord is really not out to hurt us in any way. He loves us. He loves you tonight. And if someone is struggling, whether or not that God loves you, and your faith right now is taking a hit, consider the Lord having sent me to this place to tell you tonight that He loves you. And if you will trust Him, He will make a way for you. He will make a way for you. Receive that. Receive that right now, whoever you are. God permits situations through which He will manifest Himself in order to teach us, in order to strengthen us, in order to bless us, in order to carry out His purpose in our lives. Rarely do we understand this in advance. But these are the treasures of the unknown. Or the treasures of darkness, as we read at the beginning in our opening text. When you feel like the boat of your life is being battered around and, and, and you can't make any sense of this storm, Listen, don't jump ship. Don't jump ship. You will drown. Toss out an anchor somewhere instead and, and stay the course. Stand firm. Stand firm, brother. Stand firm, brother. Stand firm, sister. Here's just a few anchors that I can propose, and I'm coming to a close. But the first one is in Psalm 139, verse 12. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. The Lord is not afraid of the dark. We might be afraid. <laughs> we have one honest soul here tonight. We might be afraid of what seems to be horrendous and suffocating darkness that comes upon us. The Lord is not afraid of the dark. Settle in your mind that God knows what He's doing. Even in your darkest hour, God sees clearly through the obscurity of your situation. Even when we can see nothing, nothing is hidden from Him. He is forever there to guide us. Anchor number two, Isaiah 50, verse 10. We read it earlier. Who among you fears the Lord, who obeys the voice of His servant, who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. And so know that the name of Jesus is the sum total of all that He is. I am that I am, manifest in flesh. Put your trust in the name of Jesus tonight. And, because nothing can stand against that name. We're talking about getting a hold of something when you're suffocating in obscurity and you don't know if you're coming or going. I've got to believe that there's someone who's, who's having feelings like that in a group this size. We've all had those feelings at times. And we are living in obscure times. There's nothing certain in the day in which we, with, we, we live. We're just glad to be able to come together and have church on a Sunday night again. Who would have guessed that two years ago? One more anchor, Exodus 20, 21, when Moses drew near to God on the top of Mount Sinai. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. And though God is never in obscurity, per se, He is in our obscurity. He's there when we don't understand. And it's when we don't understand and we feel vulnerable and we feel weak that He makes us strong by the treasures that He gives. Grace, hope, revelation, wisdom. There are treasures 
in this darkness. God will give us the treasures of darkness, the understanding of his wisdom, if we put our trust in him. So don't despair this evening, but cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. His arms are open to you. He invites you to come to him. As a matter of fact, he said through the pen of the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. You know what grace is. It's unmerited favor. It's God's favor that none of us deserve. And the writer says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and and find grace to help in the time of need. And in conclusion, know this, brethren, brethren, all things work together for good. All things, not just happy things, not just beautiful things, not just convenient things, all things, all things work together for good to them who love the Lord and to those who are called according to his promise. If you don't know him tonight, get a hold of this message. The only hope any of us have in this life, the only hope that any of us have in this life is Jesus Christ. When he shed his blood on a cross just like this, it was to pay for the penalty of our stinking sins because all of us, all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. All of us, all of us. If God ever removed his hand from any one of us, from the bishop down to the youngest convert in this place, if God ever removed his hand, we would immediately be without hope. But there is hope tonight because the risen Savior is here tonight and his spirit is at work in our lives and we are washed afresh through his word this evening that has been preached. And some of you are feeling faith tonight elevated in high places because you realize that it's not over until it's over. You take a piece of a puzzle out of a box of a puzzle of a thousand pieces and what sense can you make out of this obscure shape and the color is just kind of blah. But God will begin to put the pieces of the puzzle of your life together and it's not too long before an image appears and when it's all over, it's this beautiful masterpiece of majestic scenery. It's beautiful. We just want to make God too complex in all of this because we want to rely too much on our own human wisdom. Put away your human wisdom tonight. Open your arms and your hearts wide to the Lord. Make yourself vulnerable to the Lord and see if he does not bless you with treasures in the midst of the darkness that we experience at times in life. Do you love him tonight? Would you slip your hand up and tell him with me? How grateful you are for his place in your life. Jesus, we bless you tonight. Jesus, we exalt you tonight. Thank you for this precious hope that you give to us.